The Commentary Booth is a show for media lovers by media lovers just like you. If you want to support the show, go to jamieappsmedia.com. Welcome to the Commentary Booth, the ultimate weekly entertainment recap and review show. My name is Jamie Apps, and each week I'll be joined by a rotating cast of co-hosts to run you through the entertainment media we've consumed during the week. Along the way, we'll provide you with insightful commentary and reviews. This week, I'm joined by a teacher who lists their favourite movie as the entire Harry Potter series and favourite TV show as Parks and Rec. Welcome back to the show, Leah Poulton. Hello, happy to be here. How has your week been? Oh, good now. I'm on school holidays, so I'm cheering. <laughs> I had you 12 all week. Yeah. I saw you guys all posted the uh, zero days left of term countdown thing. Oh, yeah. I was counting down. This term felt like I went forever. Um, but it was the last week of year 12, so it was a bit sad too. Yep. Before they go on exams, so. Oh, yeah. They still haven't done their exams, have they? No, that's next term. Have they worked out how they're doing that yet? I think they're allowed to be in the hall. I mean, we held year 11 exams in the hall, so, because the kids don't have to actually social distance. Adults do. Uh, yep. Okay, because year 12 kids aren't adults. Yeah, they're 18, I know. But <laughs> yeah. apparently that's safe. Yeah, half of them would be 18. <laughs> yeah. At least. Correct. But anyway, that's that. Yep. How's the house all moved in and settled now? Yeah, all moved in. I mean, we've got a few furniture things that we're waiting on, but obviously due to lockdown, a lot of it's coming from Victoria, so it's going to take another month or so for them to even come in. That's fun, just sitting yeah. there with half your furniture. That's right. So it's okay. Like We've got our old stuff, but it just doesn't go. That annoys me. I like to have everything perfect. So, But anyway, it is what it is. Yeah, it's always funny when people move and you can tell they've just cobbled together the bits and pieces. Like when you first move out, like nothing matches. Yes. Oh, I've had some doozies. <laughs> between between you and Sean and... Yeah. Then chucking Kyle's mixture of stuff. Oh, yes. Yeah, we've had a few interesting furniture pieces. Um, but now it's nice to have like our own stuff and it's good quality and it just feels good. And how's our Piper doing with the new place? Is she all settled as well? She is. She's loving it now. She's finally figured out the toilet training stuff, so that's good. That's a relief. I know. It took a while. I did feel sorry for her because obviously we moved. She was a bit confused, so can't be mad, but she's gotten the hang of it now, so that's good. Um, and we're taking her to Terrigal tomorrow. Gone on a little bit of a holiday for four nights, which is nice. She's coming to the wineries and the cocktail bars with us. She's a true Poulton. Yes, she is. <laughs> uh, it'd be good. What have you been up to? Um, what have I been up to? That's a very good question. Uh, oh, I went down to Nara on Wednesday. Okay. Nara Fair has not changed at all, has it? No, it has not. Walking through there, I'm like, 90% of these shops are the same shops in the exact same place. Yep. As they were People haven't changed. 10, 15 years ago. Yep, that's exactly how I feel. It's like going back in time. The only one that shocked me was Wendy's is not a Wendy's anymore. Oh, what is it? 
like out, you know, the like the Wendy's like island one that was out the front of Woolies? Yes. That is not a Wendy's anymore. It's a sushi place. Oh, oh yeah, it is true now that you say that. I hardly ever go into town, so I forget. But, yeah, you're right. Walked in, I was like, no, that was the one that I was hoping was still the same. Yeah. And I hear there's like, you know, the Wharf Road down there. They've got new ownership, so that'll be good. It'll open up. That'll be at least a nice place to go and eat in Nara, So Yeah, we went to the uh, the Australian hotel and just had dinner yeah. there. Yeah. It was a good, pretty decent good feed. pub feed. It was big feed. Yeah, you can't go wrong with pub food, though. Yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> not complaining when they give you a massive meal for $20 or something. Yeah, that's great. Have you been checking anything out? Media-wise? Yes, I have. Um, I watched the This Is Paris documentary. Yep. Have you seen it? No, I didn't get a chance to. You didn't get to watch it? Oh, it's really, it is really interesting. Um, so obviously we all know what Paris Hilton is like, or we think we know. She's this glamorous woman. She has this, like, mysteria about her. She always looks like she's in the paparazzi and she's loving, like, um, the attention that she gets. But... This documentary really goes into her past, and you can see that she's really unhappy. Wow. Um, so, yeah. So, obviously, like she said, she even said, she's like, my, bl- my brand is very glamorous, um, but I'm, that's definitely far from the truth. And it shows her having these, like, serious nightmares and insomnia. She doesn't sleep. Or if she does, she's like, for like two hours and then wakes up because she has nightmares. Yeah, she's one of those people that functions off virtually no sleep. Yeah, exactly. And she's actually really smart, which I didn't think because her brand doesn't show that. But she's quite a bright woman. No, I would not have. I would not have picked that. Yeah, no, she's definitely smart, and her brand. Like when you look at this documentary, it definitely shows that it is. It's a lie. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Um, but she talks about how like her goal in life is to make a hundred million dollars, and she says, "When I make a hundred million, then I will be happy." That's so sad. And it shows her, yeah, it shows her with all this stuff. Like she has like wardrobes full of like stuff and it's all expensive things. And she's just like, yeah, I just collect it because I have nothing else. It's just really interesting. Um, That is a sad thought to have. It's a really sad thought. But when you go into her past, you realize why she is the way she is. So... Basically, I'm sure people have heard, but like she talks about how in her childhood, she they like her their their family's obviously very rich and very wealthy and in like the upper class of New York, and she's clearly troubled. So she goes to like nightclubs underage and just explores like experiments like teenagers do, right? But her parents, obviously being rich and wealthy, are like this is not okay. It's hurting our image. So they're like, we're going to send her to a reform school. So this reform school, um, anyway, Paris goes to bed one night and in the middle of the night at like 1 a.m., these three men walk into her house and kidnap her. What the heck? Yeah, they take her from her bed and put her in a car and they don't speak to her. So she's like asking what's going on. Her parents watched her go. Never said anything. She just like drives and drives and drives and they're not telling her anything. So she basically got kidnapped in the middle of the night. That's where her trauma's coming from. She talks about like her nightmares are actually from 
this kidnapping that occurred. Like she has it recurring nightmares of these people coming into her room and taking her. And that would explain why she can't sleep for extended periods. That's exactly right. Yeah, 100%. So then this school, uh, that gets worse. It's like basically their whole thing is if I can break the kids down, then we can rebuild them into normal, like great human beings. That's their motto. Yep, because that's an appropriate way to deal with human beings and children. Let's just pile on the trauma, hey? Um, so she obviously hates it there because there's so many rules and it's, re- it's really strict, but it's also like it's, it is bad. At one point she runs away and she got put in, she got beaten and she got put in solitary confinement naked for 24 hours a day. What the? Is this a school or a prison? Uh, exactly right. And I looked it up. It sounds like some dodgy Eastern European prison. Yeah, I know. It's it's really hectic. And then I I read somewhere that it costs up to two hundred and fifty thousand a year for her parents to send her there. But the parents are looking at the pamphlet. They're not looking at the actual school. They never went there themselves. Yeah, they never actually went and saw how it all worked. Yeah, and it's just really interesting. Like it shows her life, obviously her current life, and then she's like suffering so much. And at one point, like her and her boyfriend have this massive argument. She's playing at um is it Coach? Not Coachella. I'm thinking, what's the big one over in, oh, what's it called? In London. Sean wants to go there. Glastonbury? No. The other one. Tomorrowland. Oh, that's not in England. That's in the Netherlands. Yeah, that one. Anyway, she's playing there and like, she's like, this is the biggest moment in my career, but her and her boyfriend are having a full domestic and then she's going out on stage and acting all happy. Like she fully like. Can't properly enjoy it. <laughs> No, it's just insane. But then when she goes on stage, it's like this camera shine like comes on and she's just a new person. It's all fake. But it's just, yeah, it's actually a really interesting thing to watch. I definitely like enjoyed watching it, but it's very tough to watch because, yeah, you just see how messed up she is. Yeah, like looking in from the outside, like what was it? Um, What was that show she was on with? Oh, The Simple Life. Yeah, like you look back in those days and it was just like, these are just two rich kids that have everything and yeah, are f- sort of famous just for being famous. Yes, it looks into all of that. And then now you look at it with this light on it and it's like, maybe they shouldn't have been put into that situation at such a young age. And look, she was on there straight after she got out of this school. She does talk about that. And how, like, in The Simple Life, you know how she, like, goes, I don't even know how to use a mop. But at the school, they actually had to mop the floors. And if they didn't, they get beaten. So, yeah. It's just interesting. That's on YouTube, yeah? Yes, it's on YouTube. Was it, is it like a, a YouTube production or was it something that she has made or something? She's made it. She's definitely made it. Um, but I just heard that it was on YouTube and I was like, I'm going to check it out. And I watched the first little bit. And I'm like, yep, I'm hooked. I'm going to watch the whole thing. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting, like, yes, YouTube is trying to get into that sort of field of if people want entertainment, come here. Don't just come here for yeah goofy videos, like actually come here to watch stuff. Like they had, um, like Cobra Kai has just gone to Netflix, but they had, that was originally a YouTube show. Right. So like they're. They're trying to push to be 
a competitor to Netflix in that way. So it wouldn't surprise me if they came to some sort of arrangement where it's on there rather than somewhere else. Yeah, like an HBO or a, one of the TV stations in America. Yeah, that's cool. What have you been checking out? So I've finally got around after like it's been out been out for ages, but I finally got around to watching Dirty John. Okay. Yeah. I watched uh I've watched season one and I'm I'm planning to watch season two for a future episode with you. Right. So I've definitely I've watched season one myself and I've listened to the podcast. Yep. Yeah. Really interesting character. <laughs> yeah, so it's like this crime anthology, so season one is based on focuses on John Meehan who's played by Eric Banner and he's basically just this con man who deceives women to get their money and whatever yes and then season two is a a totally different character so oh interesting I didn't know that I like when shows do that where it's you don't have to be invested in you can come back and start a show like this and not be thinking oh man there's 20 or 30 episodes to get through to catch up Yes, I right. guess literally just, here's the 10, I, think, I don't even know if it's 10, I think it might have only been 8, like 8 or 10 episodes and here you go and then if you like it, you can come and watch this next season, you don't feel like, oh, I need to watch this just to catch up and understand the rest. Yeah. And he's interesting, that season one character, isn't he? At the end when this daughter, like, um, what does she do? She like suspects that he's like a conman. And the mum just won't believe her. And then he doesn't he attack her and she kills him. Yeah, so like. Sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy that like the lady whose name was Deborah Newell, they they meet online, which lots of people do these days. Yes. And then. Um, she's wealthy. She's, she's smart. She's crazy wealthy. And then he yeah. sort of just preys on that, takes advantage, pretends to be an anesthesiologist yeah he dresses up in his nurse nurse scrubs and stuff yeah and pretends like, to go to work every day pretends that he's like a war veteran as well yeah didn't he actually go and go into the hospital and like just would like hang around yeah and like dress like he'd dress in the scrubs and stuff and then go in there and like steal the the fentanyl drugs. and the drugs and stuff because yeah. he was a drug addict and it's just like this crazy looking in from the outside to see just how easily and like how quickly she fell for it too. Like they were married within three weeks or something. I know. It's insane. I was like, I had a whirlwind like thing, but it's all fake. And he's obviously got charisma and can get away with it. Yeah, exactly. That's why I liked, I really liked Eric Banner in that role. Cause he, he is obviously a charismatic person to begin with. And then yeah, you get to see the two sides of him and he does a really good job of portraying that character. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, that's that's definitely one I'd recommend, and I'm hoping season two is as good. I started the first episode, and it hasn't grabbed my attention yet, but I'm thinking once I get a couple of episodes into in, it. it should hopefully click into place. Yeah, fingers crossed. And the other one I watched after seeing, was it Kevin and I think Jazz both? No. Ivana, both raving about the social dilemma. Okay, I've I've definitely heard about this. Some of the teachers at school were talking about it. Yeah, so it's a it's a Netflix doco about sort of the rise of social media and social media addiction and like the problems that come with that. Yeah, 
So, oh, can I, this links in with Paris Hilton. She talks about how she like invented the selfie, right? And cause she was the, basically the one that created social media, like her fame. And she says, she's like, I regret it because I look at all these girls looking at the mirror, taking selfies for their social, like social media. And she's like, I created a monster. So that was nice to hear her be self-aware. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's crazy that I think there was a stat in there and it was something like kids that are like Gen X who have grown up on social media are like two or three times more likely to have depression and anxiety than people our age who didn't have that yeah facebook and stuff from the age of like five well they're so impressionable and they think that the internet's the real life and it's not because it's all fake like do you know what i mean i say it in my high school kids all the time they're like like your instagram is not the real story yeah exactly you're not going to put up the bad moments you're only ever going to put up the good things and then and they feel inadequate for some reason people only think that's all there is they don't realize that there's yeah days where people aren't having a good time and that's exactly right and they don't know how to self-manage because they're used to living like their life getting likes yep and if they don't get enough they feel like depressed yeah like there's a it's got all these people that were involved in building the social platform so i've got people from facebook twitter instagram and like the people that wrote the algorithms and the guy that invented the like button on facebook and even he is like when we built that all it was was a way of spreading positivity yeah but what it turned into was a measuring stick of that person got this many, I got this many. Yeah, it's sad that that happens. I do like that Instagram and Facebook now have... It doesn't show. They don't show that number anymore. Yeah. Like you can still see it if you click on it and see the list, but it doesn't have 130 or whatever someone's getting on their posts. I think that's smart. Yeah, it's a sort of scary look into the influence that social media has on people, but it didn't really tell me anything that I didn't sort of already understand and realize. Yes. Although it'll be interesting to see like these, like that generation grow up and see how they're going to be adults. Cause there's positive things to it too. Like I look at my U 12s and they're so, a lot of them are very worldly. They know a lot more about like the issues going on in the world because they have access to it on the internet. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Like when I was growing up, I didn't, I didn't see what was going on unless I watched the news, which I never did. Yeah, true. They sort of get fed bits and pieces. Yeah. But like they were saying in this doco, the, the problem with that though is it know the, the algorithms and stuff know what you like, what you'll actually click on and read. Yes. So it kind of just feeds ideas that you already had it doesn't give you any opposing views right but they were saying like people are more knowledgeable than ever but they're also more divided than ever because you're only getting say you're on the right of the political sphere you're only getting those info that info you're not getting anything from the left and then yeah. they're getting vice versa so it's pushing people further apart whilst educating them more at the same time so it's like is it good or bad yeah, I guess that's where, like, media has a responsibility, doesn't it, to show these other perspectives. And then we have to have stay woke and look for them. 
Exactly. And you need to sort of be able to tell the difference between something that is giving you all the facts and is a credible source versus something that is obviously tilted or... Yeah, biased. Yeah, that's right. Interesting. Yeah, def- I definitely recommend watching it as a teacher and just sort of seeing if there's any... I'm sure there's things that you would watch and be like, oh, yes, I can see that in the kids. Yeah, it is hard. I look at some of my kids now and some of them have like up to 12 hours screen time a day. Mm, yeah. On their phone. I'm like, how do they even have enough time? Yeah, like I, they're just on their phone all the time. Like they don't ever look up. Like what are you doing? I know. It's, and it's sad. It's really sad. Like you, know, you look at it from a bullying point of view too. Like they just have – like if you're a bully – you have 24-hour access to somebody online. It's scary. At least before it was literally while you were at school and then once you were at home, you were sweet, you were safe. Home, you're safe. Yeah, and that's not a thing anymore. That's sad. I think that was probably the scariest thing in it when they were they were speaking to a few, like, teenagers and they were, like, asking them what they thought their screen time was for the last 24 hours or whatever. Yeah. And they were all like, oh, like two or three hours. And then they'd look at it and it was like eight, ten. And they were like, oh. Well, that's the thing. They're not self-aware. And like, yeah, they were literally addicted to their phone. Like they took their phones away from them for a few hours and they were just f- like anxious, freaking, freaking out. out. Didn't know, yep. They didn't know what to do. Like they didn't know how. Well, that's the thing. They don't know how to self-regulate. How to entertain themselves without their phone in their hand. Exactly. They're just laying in bed like, what do I do? I think that's a responsibility of the parent, isn't it? Like I look at, um, there's a couple of parents in mine, they talk about it all the time. And I have this one teacher who gives her son his phone um, to take to school and he has it an hour. Like he's obviously young, but he has it like an hour or two in the afternoon or in the morning and that's it. And then she's like, yep, phone's away after that. Because they need to learn how to, yeah, entertain themselves or do things that don't involve being online. Yeah, like. Pick up a book. Like, like these kids, it was in the middle of the afternoon. They're just laying on their bed like, I don't know what to do. Like, go outside. Play with the other kids. Yeah, go outside. Get sun. <laughs> exactly. You have actual friends. You don't need to just be online talking to them. You could actually just go outside and talk to them. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, like, I understand why we need social media, but like this weekend I barely used mine and it was actually really good. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's what I said to her, um, my husband. I was like, I'm going to kind of switch off a little bit when we go to Terrigal. Yes, I'll probably take photos and whatever, but I'm just going to be like, no, I've got to be in the moment. Yeah, like take the photos and save them for... Later, when I get home. Just enjoy what's happening at that time. Like, that's right. I think I barely picked up my phone this weekend. It was awesome. That's good. I watched a heap of movies. Like I didn't do much, but... Like... <laughs> it was still nice to switch off, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, what else have you checked out? Um, I've actually been binging a podcast. Um, it's called Voices for Justice. Yep. Have you, have you heard of it? No, but def- based on the title, it definitely sounds like a Leopolden thing. Yeah. It's really good. Look, it's, um, Sarah Turney is the one who like produces it and she hosts it as well. And Sarah Turney is actually the daughter of Michael Turney, who is suspected of murdering her sister, Alyssa. Oh. Yeah. So it's really cool to hear from someone who was in it. 
So anyway, Sarah Turney gives insight into her father and her sister's disappearance. So the story features like Alyssa Turney was 17 uh, when she went missing. She went to school that day. Her father pulled her out early and he claims that they had a fight. She wrote a note and she went to California and she was never seen again. That's his claim. Mm, Yeah, that doesn't sound sus at all. No, I know. Anyway, so Sarah, though, like she didn't believe that her father was guilty because she lived in the house with her sister and the father and her father never did anything untoward to her. But when you take a deep dive into it, he is messed up. (laughs) Does she start to sort of see those red flags and warning signs looking back on it? Yeah, so like she goes, the podcast is like set, like every um, episode is sequentially going through like the timeline okay, yep. of what's going on. So she like talks about how she like did suspect this and this is like her childhood, this is what it was like. I look into her father's mental health issues because he definitely has a lot of those. Um, and then it goes into Alyssa and what she was like and her friends talk about stuff. And then her, her friends are really suspicious of the father too, but no one really stood up to him. They were too scared. So he, anyway, he's a, he's a very different character. He claims that Alyssa has a disability. Her disability is ADD. Yep. Which isn't like, yes, okay, that you struggle through that. But he claims that her disability meant that he had to keep an eye on her for her own safety. But his eye on her is not normal. He films he has cameras inside the house he has cameras in the vent of her bedroom like that's not nice is it no that's and he watches her every move um but he's claiming it's all for like this responsibility of a father to make sure that she's safe he even goes to her workplace and like stalks it looks like he's stalking her he's like filming her through her work window like he works at some like fast food joint and he's sitting in the car and just filming her. So he's like stalking his own daughter. That's really creepy. It's full on. Um, and then it goes into like Alyssa actually, it goes into like when she disappeared, what came out after that. Apparently she'd admitted to her boyfriend at the time that her father had driven her into a desert and tried to sexually assault her. Ooh. But you kind of get the feeling that this has been going on for a long time. Because he said things like Alyssa's not because his Alyssa is her his stepdaughter by marriage, so she's not doesn't have his blood, and so he like talks about how like it's not incestuous, but it so is. Yeah, bro, it's it's still gross and still seedy and creepy. That's right, and it's really interesting because Sarah's talking about it, but she didn't have any idea. She like worshipped the ground her father walked on and defended him. She even like when he got arrested, so. Hold on. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Alyssa went missing. The police only ever had him. One guy actually confessed, or a different dude confessed to murdering Alyssa. What? But. Why would you confess to that if you didn't do it? Well, that's the thing. He goes into it, and there's like some of the details that he gives are actually really accurate. So they kind of like investigated further, but they deemed it a lie because there was a lot of this stuff in the paper about her. So he'd gone through that. He was a bit full on. How are you going? A bit strange himself. Yeah. So like that's the only other suspect that they'd had. And they were like, nah, this guy, this Michael Turney is weird. And he like, Michael Turney rings up 
um, like docs, but in America it's called something else. Uh, CFS or something. Yeah, and like he's like giving them, he's like, oh, look, Alyssa threatened to um, report me to you. I'm just ringing you to know to, to let you know that she's deranged, like she's not not well, and she's doing it to like um, exploit me. <laughs> Trying to protect, get ahead of it, and protect himself that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, so the police like go into this investigation. Sarah's living in the house for a while, and the police end up raiding the house and find like the biggest pipe bomb collection he um, they've ever had. Like there was bombs and guns and all sorts of things because he believed some thing was like stalking him. Oh, yeah, okay. Of course the stalker has a stalker. Yeah, he's uh, he's definitely not mentally well. Yeah, there's definitely a, f- a few pieces of that jigsaw missing. That's right. and But then he's, he's actually quite intelligent too. So like he gets arrested for the pipe bombs, not for Alyssa's disappearance. So all the while, Sarah, the daughter who's doing the podcast, is trying to defend him. So she's doing all her legal, his legal representation, like fighting and fighting and fighting for him. And all the other siblings, she had five or something, they all believe that he had something to do with Alyssa's disappearance. And it goes into like that family trauma, how they don't all talk anymore because they just had too much bad blood. So, yeah, and then he, she ends up going, oh, I think he had something to do with it. He gets out from jail from the pipe bomb incident and she meets him. I'm up to this part at the moment. She meets him at a Starbucks and starts grilling him because in Phoenix you can do, if one person wants to record, you don't have to let the other person know that you're recording it. Oh, yeah, that's dangerous. Yeah, it's like legally okay to do. So she records the whole conversation. So anyway, that's where I'm up to. So it's getting to like a juicy part. So yeah, it's really it's really interesting. I definitely recommend listening to it. And it's nice to hear from her. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it's different to regular true crime ones where it's an investigator talking about it. This one feels like it has that personal angle injected into it. Yeah, definitely. And like she she has all the transcripts. So like she goes like into uh she just reads them from start to finish. So you, she's not actually even giving a bias. She's just giving the facts and then like making observations after it. Yeah, so it's easy for you to tell what her opinions are after the fact. It's not woven into the story. Yeah, exactly right. So then you can make your own judgment and see if you agree or not too. So I've definitely been binging that every morning driving to work. How many episodes is it? Off the top of my head, I think there was something up to like 20 at this stage because I don't want to give it away. How long are the episodes? Are they just like half an hour or an hour or something? Uh, about 45 minutes. Some of them are longer um, and like two-parters and stuff. Like this like this interview with her father goes over two episodes because it goes for so long. Um, and let's just say he's currently in the news. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's definitely it's relevant right now. Got to love a good doco. I um, watched another doco this week called um, Class Action Park. Okay. And it's it's produced by HBO, and it's about a theme park in New Jersey in the 1980s called Action Park. Yeah. Which turned out to be, like, one of the most dangerous theme parks ever. This is so funny. You know my favorite podcast in the world, My Favorite Murder? Yep. 
they just released an episode about this. Okay, yeah, probably because of this docker has just come out, so yeah, tied into it. Interesting. What a crazy theme park, though. It's, it's just like this one dude had money backing him, and he was like, you know what, I'm going to build this theme park, and if I think this ride will work, it's going to work, even if an engineer is like, that's dangerous. Yeah. Like they built this like water slide that had this big loop in it that uh, physic- with physics you couldn't actually get around it safely. So you'd sort of get halfway up and then it would just you'd drop and hit the edge of it and then keep going. Oh, so they had ow. to put all this foam padding in the top of the loop so when people fell they hit foam. But they realised that some people in the start of the day would fall, land, their teeth would come out and get stuck in the foam. Oh, I've heard about this. And then the next person would go up and they'd come out with all these like, scratches. cuts and scratches on them. Like, what the heck is this? And it wasn't until they went up there and was like, oh, it's someone's teeth. Teeth? That's disgusting. Like, the idea behind a theme park, like, wet and wild, anything like that, is to have that facade of being dangerous, but it's not actually dangerous. Like, it's meant to be totally safe. Yeah, exactly. But this place was just deadly. Like, When was this? Uh, in New Jersey in the 1980s. Oh, there you go. So, yeah, <laughs> the 80s were crazy. But yes, like, they were. There was everywhere was asphalt, so people were, like, constantly covered in grazers or getting burnt feet because it was just concrete. Yes. And then anytime someone got a graze, they'd take them into the, the medical shed, which was basically just a shed, which had this circle painted on the floor. Yeah. And they'd say, stand in, stand in here. People would stand in the circle. And then they had this orange spray, which was basically just death hole and like... Disinfectant, yeah. Disinfectant alcohol. And if you stayed in the circle the whole time after they sprayed you, you got a free pass to come back next time. I think they were saying out of all the people they sprayed, they gave out three free passes. Wow. Because people would just have these massive grazers all down one side of them. And they just spray this straight alcohol on you, and you'd be like, "Oh my god, that's the worst pain ever." Yeah, that would have burn. There, there was one part that was saying, "This big, like, muscly bodybuilder type guy had a graze down one arm and down his leg." They sprayed his arm, and then like, "Oh, now we've got to do your leg," and he just refused. He was like, "No, he wouldn't do it." Yeah, it was the worst pain ever. I'm not doing it. And they're like, "Um, it's gonna get like massively infected." But he wouldn't do it. Oh, that's gross. How long? I wonder how long they stayed open. Did this take? Uh, they were open through the eighties into the nineties, so they were open for a while. Well, they've and it's it's now reopened under a new owner and different name and all safety improvements. Yeah, you'd have to. But two people died in their wave pool. Oh, because this pool was the waves were too big to start with. Yeah. They had this one section where they just called it the death zone, so people would, like, the water was deep and it was murky. Right. So if someone went under... You couldn't find them, couldn't see. The lifeguards couldn't actually see them. They had to constantly, like, every, like, 10 minutes, they'd have to stop the waves, empty the pool, check, and then people could go back in. That's not okay. (laughs) That is not okay. Two people drowned. Another person died on the... Like the toboggan ride? Yeah. Because 
half of the brakes on the toboggans didn't work and they didn't have a proper engineer come and make sure that it wasn't possible to go flying off the edge. So if the brakes didn't work and you didn't brake in a certain spot, you would just fly off the top of this corner. Oh, wow. And this one guy flew off a corner, his head and rock died. Yeah. Uh, another person was electrocuted on, it was like uh, river rapids. What? But the, um, like a, t- a couple of the turbines that pushed the water to build the rapids weren't properly insulated, so electricity was in the water. Oh, no. Like, just clearly, this guy just had money. He was like, just do it. I don't care. And like, yeah. There's engineers just being like, just because it looks cool doesn't mean it's good. Good, yeah. And then there was the, like, you know how at Jamboree, there's like the cliff dive area? Yes. There was one of these where these lifeguards who are like 14, 15 year old kids, clearly have no idea, aren't properly controlling the crowds. So people are jumping while there's still people in the water. <gasps> and then the water that's in there comes directly from a mountain spring. Right. So it's like incredibly cold. Right. People are jumping in, hitting this water, and then because it's so cold, they're like going into sort of half shock and not able to like <gasps> catch their breath and swim out. They're just like, oh. Wow, that's insane. Yeah, like everything about it was just bad. And Why are people still going? It was like a rite of passage. It was like if you got out of Action Park without an injury, you were awesome. Oh, my God. And like if somebody had to be rescued by a lifesaver, instead of like stopping them swimming the rest of the day, they just put a wristband on them that had CFS, which stood for can't effing swim. (gasps) So it just meant that the next lifeguard knew keep an eye on this person. Yeah. Not... Don't let them swim. It was just just keep an eye on them, make sure they don't drown. Just make sure they don't drown. Far out. The whole time I was like, "What the hell is this place?" Like, it reminded like looking at it, I was like, "This is just Jamboree on steroids." I was going to say because you know what, Jamboree did have an incident with the toboggans, didn't it? Yeah, somebody died there. Yeah. So look, I was about to say this would never happen in Australia, but obviously that's not true. But you know, we'd hope that we'd have regulations. We had Dreamworld as well. Yes, that's right. The rapid ride. Like it makes you. It made me a little bit hesitant to go on rides at theme parks. But yeah, look, I was always petrified of going on them when I was younger, until my dad paid me a hundred bucks to go on a roller coaster, <laughs> and then I loved it. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, I know. Oh man. Um, but yeah, it it does make you it does make you concerned sometimes. You just think like, how? When's the last time it's been checked? Yeah, I remember when. When we still had Wonderland in Sydney and we went there for school and I went on the, what was it, like the big wooden roller coaster? Yes, it hurts your neck. And all it had was just like the lap bar? Yes. And because I was tiny. You were just flying around? I'm pretty sure I could have flown out of that thing. Yeah, definitely. Like going over some of those bumps, I was like, oh, oh this isn't safe. Yeah. Like I'm not big enough for this lap bar to hold me in here. I can just slide out. Yeah. Which is scary. So, like, you think about it, like, 99% of the time in Australia at theme parks, nothing is going to happen. Yeah. But that 1% of the time, and you're probably going to end up a lot more than just a graze or a broken arm. Yeah, that's right. It would be serious if something went wrong. 
But yeah, this docker is coming to uh, Binge. Okay. Like the streaming service on September 30. So the day this podcast goes live for the free feed. Yep. It's going to be on Binge for people to check out. Cool. Uh, what would be your top reco for the week? My top recommendation would be, it's difficult between those two, but I will say Voices for Justice. It's the one that I've been listening to and binging. So let's go for that one. Yep. Yeah, for me, it will be check out Class Action Park on Binge because it's like, it's so relatable. I'm sure everybody has a moment where they're like, yeah, I, I got pretty close to hurting myself at a theme park. Yeah. yeah. Even like the narrow water slides, like I had so many moments there where I was like, oh, that was dangerous. Oh, yeah, I got cut up. I got cut up on those slides too. No teeth though. That's good. Yeah, thankfully it wasn't teeth. It was just dodgy plastic and fiberglass. Yes. Uh, so thank you for listening to the commentary booth. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, you can follow me on social media at Jamie Apps Media. And you can follow Leah over on Instagram at L.Polton, P-O-U-L-T-O-N. The commentary booth is a fan-funded production of Jamie Apps Media. You can support the podcast alongside our magazine, Jamzine, over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash jamieappsmedia. The following people supported at the Jam publisher level or higher, and you cannot fathom how incredibly appreciative we are for their support. Brian and June Hart, Courtney Paulson, Tracy Apps. Mm-hmm.